The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Thomas Sinherho. Hi, Thomas. Hey, Dom. How's it going? Very well, thanks. And Jack Barazzini. Hi, Jack. How's it going? Very well, thanks. So we're going to start off with uh, something a little different. We have a, a, a listener question. Listener John wrote into us, and he had uh, an interesting conundrum that he thought uh, we could help with. That uh, he'd like to offer some, uh, if we could offer some advice here. So uh, John writes: Tech issues are never fun, but with tech dependency at its pinnacle, yep, now is the worst time for things to break. I know I have a broken iPhone in my house, not mine, but <laughs> my. I- so John continues: My iPhone Seven Plus had its microphone fall. Fail out of the blue. After doing some basic troubleshooting, it seems to be a common problem with the audio chip, frequently called loop disease. Apple support was very unwilling to do anything other than offer a $350 replacement. They deny it being an issue and are being sued. And then he provides a link to an article uh, about a class action lawsuit against Apple concerning iPhone 7 loop disease, what they call. So John has uh, some questions. Number one. Should Apple be liable for issues in a three and a half year old phone if it's if it's a common cause for phone failure, or do I just have an out of warranty aging phone? A third party repair shop said they never recommend used iPhone sevens and have seen the problem many times. They offered to try to repair it for 150 bucks, but said the Microsoft work isn't always a guarantee. What do you guys think? This is a tough one. Um, tech stuff is always kind of uh, you know hit or miss. Uh, I think that they. They should be responsible for this somehow, but really it's one of those things only if they knew about it, only if it's something that they knew was a a mitigated risk that they were willing to take with the phones. And with their normal life expectancy, three and a half years is a long time to have right. this phone. Yeah. So, you know, that that's definitely outside of the bounds of what they would consider acceptable. Right. I... I... I agree with you on that one. That 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 is three and a half years is a long time for a phone to to be working, and then you know if if something goes wrong. I mean, you'd like to think something you spent that much money on would last a long time, but right, yeah. Uh, what do you think, Jack? I think this is the issue of the way technology is basically designed to last about eighteen months, and then it's obsolete. I right. I would be frustrated if my phone died, but after three and a half years, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Right. It just kind of it's just kind of what happens. Yeah. And frankly, I mean Apple does try to do the right thing with OS updates. They they those OS updates go for a long time. I mean I I think they go back to the iPhone 6 now, which is uh, 5 years now. That's a pretty long time to have OS updates. Um it might be the 6S. But anyway, um I so should they be liable? My opinion is I don't know. I mean, if it's a common cause for the phone to fail, it's kind of hard to say. Something a class action law. Anybody can bring a class action lawsuit for anything, even if there's you know a handful of people. You know, it it doesn't mean that it's uh, a a lot of people. So when they sell ten million phones, even a very 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 small percentage problem could be ten thousand phones. I mean, that's right. a, a minuscule percentage, but. You know, should Apple be liable if I don't know if ten thousand phones have a common problem? The other thing is, is I can't I can't blame them for wanting not wanting to repair it because, as the repair shop said, micro solder work is is a bear. In fact, Apple doesn't even bother repairing these; they just replace yeah. them with refurbs, the ones that have been replaced for other reasons, not having right. to do with micro soldering. So, uh, you're basically asking Apple to to swap out your phone for a new, uh, a relatively new phone. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. And there's definitely ways they can make their devices easier to repair, but that will come at the cost of size. Like if you make components more bulky oh, yeah. and more modular, you can repair it easier, but then your phone's going to be a lot bigger. Right. Exactly. 
Right. Exactly. Um, and nobody's nobody wants the 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 boombox version of an iPhone where you carry it on your shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> so his his next question is. Is it ethical to trade it into Apple? I wouldn't try to sell it to someone, but Apple support actually suggested trading it in for $150 credit. Is that ethical to take that deal? I'm pretty sure that Apple vets their products when they're traded in, and then they give you whatever it's valued at. So if you send them something that on the surface looks like it's in good condition, but they test it and components don't work, I don't think you're going to probably get your full value out of it. They might give you a discount because you're buying a new phone, but I don't think they'll give yeah. you the full price of it. I think in this case, this is a matter of like Apple support is sort of walking away money in the sense of, you know, we'll we'll resolve your case. I mean, I don't I, I'm not sure that the sense I get uh, out of nothing, actually. But but my guess is it could also be that Apple said we'll make this go away by giving you one hundred and fifty bucks toward a new right. phone. It, it, would that be ethical? Yeah, it's Apple's money, right? <laughs> I mean, I think once you send them the phone, it's on them if they're going to send it out to someone else when it's defective. Right. Right. They would I, never, I, and I don't think they would send it out. No, well, they, they wouldn't want to because it's bad for their business model, which is that our stuff works, you know? Right. Yeah. So as far as ethical, yeah, I think it's it's entirely ethical to, to take the deal if, you, if that's something you want to do. Uh, and then finally... I'm buying the new SE that just came out. We just talked about it last week. In the current climate, I didn't feel like spending a lot of money on a new phone. I'm hoping I don't regret it. My biggest worry is going back to a smaller screen from the Plus. So it's actually not really a question, but uh, uh, more of a statement. But do you think the uh, – what do you think? Is I don't think it's a mistake. I think the SE is a, is a good phone. Um, in fact, it's probably the best deal on a phone out there because it's practically a flagship phone on the inside. Uh, it, it's practically an iPhone 11 for a a mid range price. Yeah, I mean, I wish I'd known that the SE was going to come out when I bought my XR. Right, right. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I think the obsession with bigger screens is really kind of uh, getting too far out there. Most people don't have long enough fingers to reach all the way across the screens that they do have. So yeah, yeah. Uh, the SE rider is really right about the right size, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I. Well, since we're on the topic, I love big screens. I want bigger screens if possible on my phones. I, I could just, uh, but <laughs> you can't I have, lie. but I have tiny hands, and I'm, uh, and that's just like you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go there. But I have small, small fingers. <laughs> I'm a two, but I'm a two-handed iPhone user. I'm a two-handed phone user. I hold the phone in one hand and I tap with the other. I, I'm not a one-hander, so I've never <laughs> been, you know, the, someone who's got big enough fingers to do to one-hand things. So, uh, so it doesn't matter anyway. So. uh I like I like having screen real estate. I think it's part of it's about getting older and being able to see stuff. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so John, I hope that answers your questions. I hope you enjoy your new phone. And uh, I, I got to be honest, wh- when I've had problems with my Apple Gear and I've taken them to the to the Apple Store, uh, and this may be part of the difference. Uh, you're do you're having to do this over the phone versus in person. But whenever I've taken myself to the Apple Store, I've always had a good experience. I've always walked away feeling that they treated me fairly. I, I didn't always get like a new new gadget out of it. I've sometimes had to pay you know money, but I always understood that it was you know above board. Uh, my last thing was I, I actually I had an iPad Pro that I got last year. And earlier this year, like like right as all of this was happening, but before they closed these stores, thank goodness, uh, it stopped charging when I plugged in the USB uh, uh, cable, USB-C cable. And so I brought it in. They looked at it. They tried the different cables and it almost like it almost it started actually charging. And I'm like, something was weird. And so we we tried something. Else. I forget exactly the, 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 all the steps I talked about it in a previous episode. Anyway, they ended up giving me a new iPad, which entirely happy with and it's been great ever since and hopefully it will stay that way past the <laughs> the six months i got out of the last one anyway so uh john uh i hope that helps let us know send us another email when you've got your new phone and tell us how you like it and uh we'll we'll go from there and and let us know whether you got the whole 150 dollar credit for trading in that phone because uh i'm curious whether that was a walking away money or uh, we'd give you up to one hundred and fifty dollars, depending on the, yeah. <laughs> the quality, depending of the phone. on the on the condition of the phone that you're sending us, right? <laughs> that you're sending us that you told us was broken. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, all right, let's move on to our second segment, and this one is a uh, 
it goes back to talking about the current situation we're all in, which is a uh, start with this Washington Post article. It with the headline is, and it's one of these long headlines. Most Americans are not willing or able to use an app tracking coronavirus infections. That that's a big problem for big tech's plan to slow the pandemic. So this refers to the work being done by Google and Apple to create a framework, an underlying framework that will allow. Uh, health agencies and governments to create apps on top of them. This is very important distinctions we're making here uh, that would then aid in keeping track of who's exposing whom to the virus when someone gets sick. So this poll finds that most people, let's see, uh, I'm trying to find the exact number here. Let's say three and five are unwilling or unable. Yes. Three and five. Yeah. 82% who do have smartphones, the willingness to use the infection tracing app is split evenly, 50%. So for those who do have smartphones, it's 50-50 it, in, for in general. So I, which doesn't frankly surprise me that people who don't have the phones would be unwilling to use an app that they don't have a phone to use it on. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, but, but it's still the, the, the question or the concern is for something like this to work, most people have to be in on it. Most people have to be willing to do it so to, to get enough data to track the virus's spread. What do you guys think of this? I think it's a interesting situation because on the one hand, I don't trust them at all. But on the other hand, this might be something that is necessary or at least very helpful in containing this problem. Yeah. I, I feel like Given given the options of what's likely to happen, I think a, a uh, technological contact tracing situation is going to happen one way or the other. So we can either take the Google Apple one where they said they're not tracking us, or we take the one that comes from the government. We could take the one from the from the people who make the operating system. So therefore, it's probably unlikely to kill our phones. Unlikely, but not completely out of the realm of possibility i suppose but or one program by the government's contractors who are writing the apps yeah no thank you i'll, <laughs> I'll take the one from google and apple every day yeah, like i i already use their devices knowing that they do these things that i right. find unsavory at best you know <laughs> yes we've so already made I'm, that deal with the devil right <laughs> it's the devil you know versus the devil you don't Right. At least it'd be unsavory and competent as opposed to what the government would roll out. <laughs> right. Well, and I, I like the fact that, that they are understanding that this is a touchy subject and they've been releasing a lot of data about how they would do it and mm-hmm. how they would make sure that it was secure. And, and you know, like I, like I mentioned before, we talked about this last time, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't throw all my flags up the way I would normally say it does. So right. they have the right idea. They're using sort of a blockchain approach. It's kind of... Uh, you know, it's obfuscated until necessary. And they're holding strong against government <laughs> pressure. I mean, France and Germany have both put pressure on Apple and Google to allow mm-hmm. more than they're, will- they're willing or able, you know, comfortable to allow. And Apple right. and Google are standing firm on it. Like, no, we're we're not going to give you the data that you want because uh, Lord knows why they want all this extra data. And some of it is just typical government incompetence where they want a, an app that that keeps your phone live all the time running their app on top, which means that your phone right. would only be, be you know, have battery life for about 30 minutes and die and not track anything <laughs> anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I agree with you, Thomas. Like we have, we've already made this deal with Apple and Google that we're going to carry their devices around. I, I, I don't want to make the, you know, it's like I said, it's the devil, you know, versus the devil, you don't know, but maybe, maybe no, actually there's a devil, you know, on Apple and Google. And then the devil, you really know, Government. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I know both of them and the one that I prefer doing this particular thing. <laughs> right. I just, my principal worry is that, okay, so once we have this app for tracking this specific problem, the next time something else happens, it's going to be, okay, we need to turn our tracking apps on again. And for every single little thing, it's going to be, you need to have your tracking app on so you can be aware of it. And where does that line end? That's the part that yeah. scares me. Well, well, I think still, I mean, it's, it's, we're still at the, it's voluntary standpoint. Like it's, there's mm-hmm. a, there's an API, there's a framework that an app has to sit on top of that you have to install at this point. Now, now they, they could theoretically, like, like Russia has forced 
uh, Apple to do and China, I think they've forced uh, shovelware like where they, that the the phone has to ship with uh, the certain government mandated apps, which, you know. Right. Great reason to live in those countries, I, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, but we're far away from that. And I, I could see consumers and companies fighting that tooth and nail. Um, it, I mean, if there were, I'm trying to imagine a scenario that's not another pandemic that would allow them, you know, that would be an excuse for this. Maybe a giant terrorist attack. Like we want to make sure that you're, you know, what phones have pinged off of other phones or terrorists are planting. ID. I don't want to give any ideas, but you know what I mean? Terrorists planting IDs that right. are phone activated. And so we need to be aware of all the phones that are around in places or I mean, again, that's what the data is available off of the, off the towers anyway. So I'm not sure, you know, what excuse they could have to, to roll this out again. Certainly Apple and Google could just flip a switch and say, we're turning this off. I don't know. It's it's one of those things when you let the cat out of the bag, though. That and that's the reason that they haven't put back doors in their phones for law enforcement. Right. And that that is almost exactly the same kind of thing, you know. So if this makes it onto phones surreptitiously, uh, and it is active without being, uh, you know, I could see I could see law enforcement making a a a reason to be able to gather this data for whatever purpose right. they want to, and and that being dangerous, yeah. I mean, supposedly the APIs will not be available for anyone other than government agencies, but I, I'm no programmer, but is there a way to prevent those APIs from being available? Like, how how can they prevent developers from using this API surreptitiously? Not like, I know they could prevent the apps apps that use it from going into the store, but if I sideload it onto someone's oh. phone, can I, can I use those APIs? They could require encryption keys to unlock the API. Like right. you have to have the key to open it. Otherwise, you're not going to get into it. They could do okay. something like that. And I think that's probably the best way to handle that. But it's basically just the precedent that worries me. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and honestly, I don't, I don't know that it's another one of those where you end up with a tech gateway where it's um, I'm not sure that government agencies have enough uh, tech savvy at their hands to be able to handle encryption keys properly like that. Yeah. I'm not so much worried about government agencies spying on me as I am them letting the tools to spy on me get out into the wild for, yeah. Yeah, you know, Russian hackers or whatever. Uh, right. I keep picking on the Russians. Sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean? I, that's where a lot of my spam comes from. But so, uh, you know, it, yeah, that's the, the concern is, uh, I mean, frankly, I'd feel a little bit better if the NSA or the FBI or the CIA had the keys, but do I, feel confident that the guys over at the Department of Health and Human Services have really good cybersecurity practices. Right. <laughs> I'm a little concerned about that. Yeah. I mean, the whole government and the contracting world is kind of going through that right now with all the CMMC stuff. It's basically everyone's security is horrible. And so you have to comply by these very, very strict controls. And on the one hand, as a systems administrator, it's really frustrating because it's a very, very specific. But on the other hand, it's mm -hmm. it's kind of what you want happening if they're dealing with this amount of data. Right, right. That's good to know. I mean, it's good to know that they're, they're pushing it at least uh, and to be more strict. Because certainly we know that there are nation state actors like China and Russia and others, and as well as uh, organized crime actors who and terrorists who are all beating on the doors of our infrastructure. So uh, having that cybersecurity would, improved would be better. And I'd feel, I'd feel better about it in general. Right. Yeah. So uh, in, in this vein, Apple is, uh, and Google have both released betas of their operating system with these uh, exposure notification APIs, as they're calling them, in them, um, as well as a software development kit to certain developers the the ones most likely to be building these for the gov for government agencies so uh so those should be coming as well as apple's uh, latest beta also has uh uh modifications to the face id code which doesn't mean it, it's not going to unlock based on half your face as we talked about <laughs> because we because face id doesn't work with a mask now uh That's but it, it will it will default to type in your password faster which is it's kind of ironic, actually. Having an iPhone SE oh, right now no, does good. seem seem like a better a better play ID. I mean, a better idea because ah, it has Touch see? ID. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. That well, maybe next year they'll have a, they'll go back to having the what was it through the screen 
touch ID that they've been talking about. Uh, that mm. would be handy. So yeah, that's one of the things uh, I, w- I like to use my Google, Google, um, Google Apple pay when I go to have to go to the store uh, because I don't want to, uh, that way I don't have to hand my card over. I'm touching nothing. Right. You know, mm-hmm. Except I can't unlock my phone, so that's the where the Apple Watch comes in. I can tap, I can do the uh, double pump on the button, and then tap to to pay um, without having to do Face ID because it's already unlocked on my wrist. Maybe there's a way to do that in the other direction. Mm. Unlock, have your phone be be unlocked if it's in proximity to your watch, which is on your arm. It'd be interesting to see. Apple has announced that their WWDC is coming this June. Uh, it's a total virtual conference. It'll be all online. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch how they do that, but also uh, what sorts of stuff related to this is come is going to be quickly coming down the, down the line. All right. So let's move on to our next uh, topic. We want to, uh, speaking of tracking <laughs> and uh, involuntarily tracking, there's a, uh, in, now, where is this? I forgot. To, I forget exactly where this was, but in certain jurisdictions, in I think in the, the one mentioned was in Georgia. In Georgia, right, right, right. Yeah, they're requiring that that uh, parolees, in um, yeah, parolees put an app. They would need to have a smartphone. So that's a that's a big thing right off the bat you need to go buy a smartphone and then you need to install this app on it which will keep track of your location so a lot of these people have to be they have terms of release that require them to be home at certain hours or you know sort of like they used to have the electronic monitoring bracelet uh, ankle bracelet well this is now your phone which is your your new bracelet um but the problem is is these apps are poorly programmed and um uh, sending alarms that they're they're not at home when they are uh they they, they have uh, loud alarms in the middle of the night when they're sleeping uh, the alarms are that they're that they supposedly have left their house and gone somewhere they shouldn't have gone and all these sorts of things and so on top of them being poorly programmed they're also spying on them they're afraid that they have that they're listening in to them that they're uh uh the the, the apps use uh geolocation data and voice or facial recognition. So they're listening and looking at you. Uh, and they're, they're, they have control of your phone, fo- of these phones that you have. Uh, what do you think? I mean, this, this seems, th- this is Orwellian, frankly, uh, yeah. which, which they can get away with because these are uh, parolees and cons. They're parolees. Yeah. They're parolees. That's you can, you can treat uh, prisoners like this. That's basically the way that our, that our country has kind of handled the whole federal detention system. And it's it, Frank, this is, this right here is exactly the reason that I just hate the way that our prison system works. It's, it's horrendous. It's terrible. Right. And when people get out of our prison system, they shouldn't be made to, to deal with this kind of stuff. Like, like reading through this later on, uh, it, it, she might be wrong. The, the numbers could be wrong, but the person that they're talking about, this Layla, a uh, person that they're talking about in the, in the article, she said she had to pay $90 a month to be part of this, to, to, to participate in this app. Right. And that I can't afford $90 a month for most things that I need, much less, you know, <laughs> like something right. that I'm, that's, that's inconveniencing me to the point of almost causing psychological harm. And, um, I, I can't believe that I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, it does not surprise me in the least to find out that this app is doing this kind of stuff. Um, because it's, it's hard enough for Google maps to keep track of where I am when I'm driving down the road <laughs> right. on a clearly marked roadway, you know, like every once in a while I'm in the brush for some reason and it's telling me to get back on the road. Yeah. So if, if Google can't do it, I, I'm not surprised that a company that that's like this, uh, can't, but then. Um, I looked up, I went in and looked up the, the two companies that they talk about, the, the main, main company, the, uh, this Telmate, I think was what it was called. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, the, uh, parent company that they're, they're all prison related apps. There's nothing, it's not like it's a company that makes a whole bunch of other apps right. and they just opted right. to do this one too. No, it's all like messaging into prisons, uh, keeping connected with, with people that are in prison. So I, I imagine that this is very much an, a complete charge for use type of program it's all 
uh, a kit combination. This is the only way that you can communicate with your family in our prison. You have to use this particular app. Oh, and by the way, it's going to cost you, you know, $200 a month for you to be able to do that. So uh, right. this smells all the way down. <laughs> Having a, I have some experience on the back end with some companies that have done stuff like that um, from previous jobs. And this really doesn't surprise me at all. And the part that makes me upset is that when they're building these apps and working with this kind of stuff, they're not viewing the people who are going to be using the apps as people at all. And it's it's not taking into account what they're going to have to do to accommodate this. Yes. The, the, the dignity of the humanity of the people who are on the other end of this, whatever they've done, you know, to, to, to end up in jail, there's, there's a certain human dignity that they're still due. Right. And well, yeah, and, and they're, they're often treated like you know the that ninety dollars month I could see that's that's the cost that they don't that, that the state isn't paying. They just say, hey, just pass it on to the con, like let them pay it. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. it's really hard for for a lot of ex cons to get a job, <laughs> and to yeah. you know, and if they don't get a job and if they don't stay employed and you know financially solvent and in a home, they can end up back in jail. You know, it's right. just it it's a vicious a, cycle. It's a cycle. It's a terrible cycle. And this is, I think there's an injustice going on here, especially with a a poorly programmed app. It's quite obviously poorly programmed. That's, you know, part of a whole corrupt system of nepotism and insider uh, influence and that sort of thing. It just, it, it, it's, it's, um, it's not just and it's not right and not moral. It's worse than you think. Yeah. Yeah. Having yeah. seen some of it on the back end. Right. There's more to it. We'll have a link to the to the story. Uh, there's, there's there's lots more about these companies and the the problems with these apps in the in the. We'll have it in the show notes just to to see. There's uh, issues having to do with just how poorly these things can you know with facial recognition and all the other things. I mean, just a just to kind of before I sign up, if this were a regular commercial app, it would be dead on arrival because yeah. of how poorly it works. <laughs> It, no one would buy it, but because you have a, ca- a literally captive audience, a captive uh, cu- customer base, you, that's how you survive. So let's uh, move on. Our next headline is about Tesla. Tesla's in the news uh, again, and not with something Elon Musk said inappropriate. Uh, this time it has to do with their car. Their car has some new features. They've updated. They've updated the car with a new traffic light and stop sign control feature. Do you guys see this? What what it's able to do now? So it it's amazing to me how we can. So what it does is it recognizes and responds to traffic lights and stop signs. It slows your car down. So again, it's not autopilot. I mean, it's called autopilot. It's not doing all the driving for you. You still have to like be in control of your car. Yeah, but we're getting closer and closer to this day when you get, you just tell the car to go someplace and it's going to go. What do you think of this? I mean, it, is this something you would want? Would you be comfortable driving a car that breaks at lights, like a, a blinking yellow or slow down when you came to a stale yellow sort of thing? Or would you, do you, would you prefer to remain firmly in control of your car? I, I think uh, anybody who feels like they are firmly in control of their car beyond this kind of thing is living in an illusion. <laughs> um, because honestly, I mean, if you if just when I when I read this at first, I was like, oh, no, that's not. And then I, and then I sat and thought about it for a minute. And like, if you think about an anti-lock braking system, mm-hmm. uh, an anti-lock braking system is designed to prevent user error in brake manipulation. Right. When you slam on the brakes. Right. Uh, it, it, in older versions of cars that didn't have ABS, uh, if you slammed on the brakes, the wheels would lock up and then you would skid. And yes. so it was found to be better if you could just pump the brakes that it would slow you down. But they were like, well, people in a stressful situation aren't going to do that. So well, uh, let's go ahead and just build it into the car. Right. Uh, and there are tons of things like that going on inside your car that you don't think about because they're not super high tech and advanced. But we're starting to think about those super high tech advanced ones as kind of intrusive. And that's when I, when I thought about this, I'm like, you know, how many times have I come to a stop sign and gone, oh, wait, I forgot that there was a stop sign here because I was on personal autopilot, right, right, you know, and right. just like I'm driving to work. I'm not really paying attention to where I'm going. And oh, yeah, wait, there's a stop sign here. I need to stop. Uh and so it, what you have here is a, an incident where the car would kind of be reminding you of the proper way 
to be driving. Yes. And I, I don't, it doesn't sound like it just completely takes over and stops you dead. Uh, so it's more like it slows you down just to kind of jolt you back to, oh, yeah, we really do need to be stopping for this particular kind of light or for this stop sign. Well, you know, maybe you didn't notice. <laughs> it seems like it's closer to lane assist than yeah. taking yeah. over. It's like, let's let's be honest. It's your spouse in the, sp- in the passenger seat say- saying, uh, there's a stop sign. <laughs> right. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. I, and that's when we go, I saw it. And then you press the brake because you didn't see it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. I mean, that's essentially what it is. It 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 sort of puts up notifications and indications and may even slow down the car, the car a little bit, you know, that sort of thing. And, mm-hmm. uh, which we have, like you said, I think you're right, uh, Jack, that lane avoidance, collision avoidance systems, there's all these sorts of systems out there already on some of these higher end cars that do some of this stuff. This is just, it's more in your face. It's more visible. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's a Tesla. So therefore it's auto driving, you know, that the whole yeah. uh, aura around <laughs> they that. They can spin it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's good to see, I, you know, frankly, it's anything that so many uh, driving accidents are due to people, you know, zoning out when they shouldn't. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's I, I would love to see if someone has data on that, how many accidents are just people zoned out doing things that they knew they like given a second to to reflect. Oh, yeah, duh, I know that there's a light there. Mm-hmm. So this would be uh, a way yeah. to help with that. I think the sooner the meat bags are out of control, we'll be good. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely that's that's i mean that's really what it comes down to is like uh, um you, you can run the system more efficiently from um from sort of a mainframe uh but at the same time you you look at this and like one of the biggest problems we have with driving right now is distracted driving due to texting mm-hmm. i'm gonna dispute that uh, i've looked at the data yeah distracted driving is a problem but the number of accidents due to <laughs> due to texting is actually a tiny percentage of all distracted driving accidents. In fact, uh, they're, they're, the bigger problem is people being uh. tired behind the wheel. But but I get what you're saying. People just being distracted behind the wheel through very and yeah. technology is one of those things that distracts us. Yes. Um, yeah. I think kids in the backseat is way more distracting than texting. But oh, but, I don't I don't disagree with you on that point. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I get I get your point though. Yeah, that if we can re- if we can remove the problems of people being distracted from the if they're people will be distracted. That's just going to happen. People are going to eat burgers. They're going to talk to people in the car. They're going to try to change the radio station. That's just the way it is. So if we can make distraction less dangerous right. through some automation, that would be good. I I always go back to what was the movie? Was the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? Was it Eraser? The one where it starts out with him getting in his pickup truck with his buddy. They go into work and then the truck drives and the seats kind of pull back and turn toward each other. And they just chat like uh, while they're, while the car is doing all the work. I'm like, I want that. Yeah. <laughs> That's where we awesome. need to get to, man. <laughs> yes. Yes. As, as you said, it won't even be your car. You'll just, you know, summon up an Uber and the Uber will come with whatever you want it to car. have in it. <laughs> yes. Yes, Exactly. That would be a nice day not to have to own a car. Um, all right. So our next headline, speaking of uh, uh, dystopic features, <laughs> is uh, ESPN has a new commercial with, that they did in conjunction with State Farm uh, during as part of the like they, they created it during the whole lockdown thing. So this, the, a lot of these uh, media companies are having to be creative with their uh, projects. And while this new one features it features Kenny Maine, the the longtime uh, ESPN Sports Center host from ages and ages ago, uh, talking about Michael Jordan and the Bulls as if it was from 2000, 1998, actually, what is 1998, and and kind of predicting that there would be this documentary called The Last Dance on ESPN in 2020, and, which they have. In other words, it's, it's an ad for the documentary, but it's making it look like Kenny Maine predicted 22 years ago that this documentary would be, would be created. Uh, but what it is, is it's a deep fake. It's, they've taken Kenny Maine, who's much older now, obviously, 60s, in his 60s now, uh, who recorded him at home doing the, the, uh, the voiceover, and then editing the original footage with making the mouth move so that it's indistinguishable from reality. And people are kind of freaked out, <laughs> rightly so, uh, that they've got this 
that deep like it was bad enough when we talked about deep faking politicians, but now we're deep faking advertising, and now we're going to have every dead uh, actor from Hollywood coming back to hawk every new product. What do you guys think of this? Is is this is this a terrible thing? Is it the end of civilization, or is it just in bad taste? I don't think it's I don't think it's the end of civilization, but I do definitely think it's in poor taste. Like I don't like how like in Rogue One they brought Peter Cushing back. I feel like mm-hmm. if you're going to do something like that, recast the actor with someone who looks like him. Right. Because this way it's it's just kind of creepy and it also eliminates opportunities for people in the future to get into that. Because eventually it's yeah. going to be, hey, let's bring Harrison Ford back in a new movie. Or like I think there's a movie right. come out, coming out actually where James Dean is going to be the star of the movie. Mm-hmm. And things like that. It's like, yeah, it, it's not necessary. Was it that the uh, Peter Cushing, the the deep fake or the the CGI wasn't perfect? If it were perfect, would it be just as bad? I I just think it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's funny with that movie, especially because you have a recasting of Mon Mothma's character, right? And and they got another actress to play that part. So why did they do that one? And the and then you have the middle well, ground because of no one it remembered too. Mon Moth, the original Mon Mothma. Well, that, actress. exactly. Yeah. But yeah. but then you also have this middle ground too of Princess Leia, who was the basically did the same thing with but they yeah. had you know uh carrie fisher well they they took lines from the original i think to just right. kind of splice that one together right but carrie fisher was still alive and able to kind of able to contribute to it if she needed to so i was fine with it when they did it and i can't remember the avengers movies where they had robert downey jr but he was de-aged i was okay with that because he's actually in that movie but I don't like them right, bringing right. back dead people or people who are not actually in the movie. Because then you're not actually watching a performance at that point. You're watching a computer algorithm. Right. Yeah. Yes, that is true. Uh, I mean, like with Carrie Fisher in uh, Rise of Skywalker, those were actual. They didn't deep fake her. She was. These were scenes shot for the prior movies that mm-hmm. they they just uh, repurposed, which is right. why it's the dialogue seems so stilted at times. Yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, but it was that was an actual performance by an actual person. I I I kind of agree. I just I don't like this idea of. Uh, I mean, in in this case, it's it's Kenny Maine. It's he's doing the actual performance. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it it's not another actor doing it. But it's still I don't know. It rides the line of. I just don't. I just don't get it. Like, what's the point? Yeah. Well, it's an ESPN commercial, so it's not always Fair a good enough. point. <laughs> but it, it seems deceptive and that bothers me because nowhere in it does it come right out and say this is we didn't really do this in 1998 this is a joke right i mean you're supposed to kind of get get from it because it is an espn sports center ad and therefore if you know anything about espn sports center ads they're always kind of an in joke but it i don't know it doesn't sit right with me that it's it feels deceptive and yeah the next will the next one be more deceptive and 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 you know it's not ESPN Sports Center it's for some car ad you know and it's like well obviously it's not really Frank Sinatra but right. it just it's seems coming. wrong yeah John Wayne's gonna start selling stuff to you man it's oh, it's, oh. it's it's gonna I do happen. wonder um I haven't actually looked into this but I wonder if actors have started putting clauses in their contracts now where you cannot use them after they're dead. Actually, I think it's probably the reverse. I think they're putting in they're mm-hmm. putting in their contract so that when people want to use them after they're dead, that they that the money goes to their estate and to their heirs. Right. I think I think that's in fact there's a lot of actors. It's a little it's it it's that's not a secret. It's it's well known, frankly. It's just not publicly known. A lot, I guess, that a lot of actors are going into these three D scanning uh lo- locations mm-hmm. in Hollywood and getting three D scanned uh, now. And then ha- and they're using those scans to go into the movies they're making and digitally editing them to look much better than they are in real life. There was a fantastic article about this that came out in October, and I'll try and link it to. Yes. Um, it was about holograms in Whitney Houston and um, using Whitney Houston's likeness in uh, in concerts. And, you know, it's all hologram. It's, it's watching her on for people who never got to go to a Whitney Houston concert. Uh, they can now because they can go to this like. Right, hologram but shot version of a Whitney Houston concert. <laughs> and I, I know, I, I know, but that's but people are people are eating it up. I don't know. It's remember the it's thing bizarre. that was five years ago or something that was like a two pack hologram or something. Yeah, I think they brought which was back. yeah, 
which really it was really primitive at the time. But you know, we're getting mm. the point. We're getting a holodeck level of things where they, they don't have substance, but you know, you can recreate a, a person and and potentially have them do things that they wouldn't have done in real life too, which is a whole nother moral and ethical question. Uh, right. You know, I don't want my grandkids deciding what what I'm going to be doing. You know. Uh, 30 years after my death, like what's appropriate for me to be doing in a commercial. You know what I mean? Like I could have idiots for grandkids for all I know, you know? So, yeah, you know, I mean, if, uh, so uh, Jack, actually your point is a good one. Uh, actors hopefully are putting clauses in like you could do this for maybe 10 years after I'm dead, but then no more or only while during the lifetime of this person. And, or, I mean, or not at all. I mean, that, I think that would be, I think they got to think about it. It's uh it's a bit scary. Yeah, there was an article yeah. I read uh, on this subject. There was an article I read a few years ago now. It, it's got to be a few about how in Hollywood there are these digital effects houses that specialize. They come in on certain mm-hmm. on movies. They, all they do is they make particular actors, A-list actors, usually older ones, look look better on screen. And that's all they do is they digitally edit their, their appearance on screen. Uh, and they get big money for it, and it's it's a it's a it's an open secret because it, you know it's a, it's a little embarrassing for these actors. But we might might even get to the point where actors just sell their likeness, and then they have a body double on set yeah. for them most of the time. Yeah, I mean, would actually that's that's happening for certain things. Uh, the what was it? There, there's been a, there was one where um, Game of Thrones. The there was the infamous mm-hmm. uh, sh- sh- Walk of Shame. Where yeah. the actress had to walk naked through a crowd. Well, the actress Lena Headey was not going to walk naked through crowds of extras uh, while they yelled at her. So they they digitally imposed her face over the body of uh, of an actress of a of a double body double, and she is the one who did it. Uh, so we're already doing that. Really creepy. It is. It is. Um, I mean, it's a little with the Mandalorian. The, you know the 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 act the the characters in the mask the entire time we never see, you never see his face well mm-hmm. you do uh, yeah yeah well. without getting into spoilers <laughs> you don't see you generally don't see his face well it turns out that there's a lot of time in the filming where the actor Pedro Pascal is not in that costume now no one's saying mm-hmm. what percentage of time that is and he's certainly doing all the voicing and this isn't deep fake this is this is just straight up he's wearing you know wearing a costume. But it's right. it's along those lines of you know what is ethical and what isn't, what is deceptive to the audience and what isn't. Interestingly, you can tell though when when you watch the Mandalorian, um, you can tell when it's Pedro Pascal in the in the outfit and when it's not, and oh. because of the way the way the actor moves uh, in the costume, and it it's almost immersion breaking when it's not him in the costume because oh. there are just little tells where it's like that person's not a bounty hunter. Like you just see the way they move and it's just that's that person's not a bounty hunter. Whereas he really got into the role. Yeah. And and some of the scenes where he's in the suit, you're like, oh, yeah, that guy, that guy knows what he's about. And this means I'm going to have to rewatch. So mm-hmm. well, you watch the first episode, particularly because you see it <laughs> in the first episode where it's just like something's off about the way they're walking. You know, Morgan Freeman, actually, uh, he has voice doubles that he hires out for like a lot of the commercials you hear him uh, doing voiceovers for. It's really? Usually not him. Interesting, interesting. So they'll like contract him out and then he'll pay like a fee to that person to do it, but he still collects most of the money. All right, let's uh, move on to the next. <laughs> we got a couple more things I want to talk about. Uh, Brigham, and Women's Hosp- Brigham and Women's Hospital, I got to enunciate better, here in uh, the Boston area, is using iPads to protect the, the nurses and doctors and preserve PPE, the personal protective equipment. I thought that was interesting. Now, we've heard of them using uh, iPads to um, allow loved ones who are not allowed in the hospitals because of the virus uh, to talk to the you know their dying relatives and loved ones and that sort of thing. And that that's understandable. But what this is, they've got these iPads in the rooms that allow them to communicate with the patients without having to go into the room. Every time you go in the room, you've got a Waste of you know a, a gown, a mask, a, gloves, all that sort of stuff. That that's all going to be thrown away every time you do it, or or you know repurposed or whatever you know cleaned. Well, this way, if they can communicate, if they can, if they can eliminate certain of the reasons for going in, like someone just has a question, or someone says, um, you know, can you next time you come in, can you bring some water or you know something like that? They can um, 
they could just do this over the iPad. I, I think it's kind of fascinating to see how this tech, how the how basic technology is really being pushed fast during this whole crisis. Mm. How how quickly we're developing ways of using technology to address these situations when it would normally take tons more time to get anything going. What do you guys think of this? Makes me think of the pads from Star Trek being used for everything. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Except yeah. you only need one iPad. You don't need a stack of them like uh, Riker <laughs> or Picard would have on their desk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it all just comes into the same spot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good idea. And I hope to see that kind of streamlining be carried beyond this particular crisis because mm -hmm. I think it's nice to use in general. Right. A uh, couple of the things they said is it's set up so that patients can talk directly through the iPad without having to touch it, which means it's not a, mm. uh, uh, an, uh, it's easier to use for them. But they also say they like it because they can see the face of the nurse, probably a nurse, mm. let's be honest, nurses are the ones that the patients see most often. They see the face of the nurse uh, and not just, you know, a disembodied voice. So that's, that's really nice too. So I like that idea. Um, I do worry more with this, the more we're learning about this virus and the way it's being handled about the, the modern day leprosy situation that we've run into where mm -hmm. we're so disconnected from each other. And, and I, I feel like we're going to have to really come to terms with, um, uh, with a, a, some variety of social distancing from this point forward. Right. Uh, you know, hand, handshakes can't be the standard mode of, of greeting someone anymore. We, we have to come up with alternatives to that. Have you guys read or watched the expanse books or TV series? Yes. The whole belter speak thing. So the belters mm -hmm. are people who for generations have lived in asteroids and therefore spend most of their time in spacesuits where you don't get body language. And so they developed a sort of pigeon sign language or uh, ex exaggerated body movements to go along with verbal, uh, you, you do all the words that you're saying to provide uh, nonverbal communication, you know, a smile that goes along with a, a a joke to make sure that someone knows that you're you're joking and not mad, that sort of thing. So they have things like they they hold up their hand and and um, nod their hand on the wrist, you know, like a like a fist on on the end of the wrist as a way of uh, affirmation, along with saying yes, you know, that sort of thing. I wonder if we're going to start developing these non uh, nonverbal exaggerated cues because you know, when, when you especially when you're behind a mask. You you mm -hmm. need some way for someone to understand what you know. So much of you, what you're saying, communicating, is through the expressions on your face. And if we can't see the expression on a face, it becomes so much harder. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I think that's that's a, a big concern that we need to worry about. Yeah, it's really going to be interesting to see how this affects both our use of technology and our interpersonal relations going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, hopefully. Hopefully we'll push things like te uh, m virtual meetings technology way beyond where it is today, because as great as being able to Skype or Zoom or Google Meet or whatever with people, when I've done Zooms with groups, it's it's just so hard. It's so mm -hmm. much harder and like mentally and emotionally draining to try to get to a meeting on one of these as opposed to being in person. Um, yeah. I, mm -hmm. I never thought I'd long for an in-person conference room meeting. I, actually, I still don't, but never mind. <laughs> still, <laughs> it, they, we need to improve these technologies. I'm, I'm going to plug again here. If anyone has not read E.M. Forster's The Machine Stops, uh, it's yep. it's eerily predictive of where we are right now. And it, it's the only science fiction story he wrote, but it was very, very uh, conscious of what we've become and how we are situated right now. It kind of reminds me of a Wally. -E. Where mm -hmm. everyone's just yes. isolated in their pods. <laughs> yep. It's funny, actually. Uh, my wife right now, she is attending a wedding through Zoom. <laughs> so it's going to be interesting to see how this yep. carries on after we've gotten through this or, you know, whatever happens. Hopefully that couple's not up in that diocese in Canada where the bishop requires the the bride and the groom to social distance, which makes me think the bishop doesn't understand how marriage works. <laughs> yeah, so they're not going to do social distancing after the wedding, so... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, Thomas, I did actually read that after you recommended it last time, the, the machine Excellent. stops. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was pretty wild. Yeah. Especially given how old that story is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's on um, archive.org. It's, 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 you know, uh, in the public domain cause it's so old. Uh, 
Um, okay, so let's move on to the, la- the last story before we get to our picks, uh, because this one hits close to home for me. Um, and I know you guys probably think I'm crazy for doing this, but I've had one of, had these for years. Uh, Automatic is a company that provided uh, these dongles that plug into your car's OBD port, onboard diagnostics port. Every car has one. They've had them for decades now. And, uh, and what it did was it provided certain amounts of data to you uh, via your, your phone, uh, including uh, the codes. If, if, you're, if, you're, if you get an engine light and that sort of thing, it can provide some of that information. So vehicle diagnostics, trip history, real-time location. One of the things I loved about it was uh, I'd put it in our, our family van. My wife would take the van and it would tell me, okay, the car has left the house. Okay, they've left. The car has now parked at this location. So I know they got to where they're going. Uh, they're coming home. So they get in the car. The car has now left that location. Okay, they're on their way. I need to, you know, get wrapped up here so I can get dinner on before they get home. You know, I know where they are. I know I could do this sort of thing with my with iPhone and that sort of stuff. But there's, there's I don't know. There, there was something about, it was, it was, plug and forget about it it just worked and it was so much better uh it, it, it i it's it's kind of it's kind of sad the company is now shutting down as of may 28th uh part of it they they said it's due to the whole coronavirus thing people aren't driving so people aren't buying these things and uh, uh they are owned by Sirius XM they got bought by Sirius XM a few years ago so you know who knows what whether that's uh, part mm-hmm. of it as well but it just, it, you know, it. I'm sad. I'm sad because this is a, it was a good tech product that worked. You know, the, 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 the second generation, the first generation did its bugs, but the second generation, it worked for me for years. I've used it to track our family vacations, you know, keep track of all the mileage and how much we paid for gas and all that sort of stuff. And now we don't have that anymore. And it, it just, it, it bums me out. I wish I I could find something that could do it. It seems like they might have been operating under a really thin margin if they're shutting down after just three months. Or this yeah. could be a way for their parent company to shut them down with less of an outcry. Yeah, that's my guess. Because, uh, yep. yeah. <laughs> I'm a, a, almost certainly that's what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> right. They, they, they were, they were a, a marginal three months ago, and this just you know put them over the edge and gave them a reason yeah. to shut it down, to stop throwing money into everyone working at home. Now, see, it's interesting, though, because we're kind of coming back to the the whole idea of technological obsolescence, uh, you know, where we started with the with talking about the iPhone. And this is one of those situations where you have a product that that you had built a certain amount of your uh, uh, workflow around. Yes. And now it's gone. And, um, you know, I think there's there's a lot of situations where um, we have these things that rise up, they they work, they're functional, and then they get bought out by a parent company or they just fail and don't uh don't function and they or the, the business can't make it and um you know we're we're starting to encounter ways in our lives that technology is almost outpacing us where uh it can become really big uh, a really important part of our personal lives and then uh we don't have control over whether or not it continues existing because right. the company runs it and manages it and so much of that. So it's really interesting to think about, you know, where where that's taking us as a society. As we become more reliant on technology, we also are becoming more reliant on the existence of the company that backs that technology as well. Right. Did this thing communicate over cellular or how does it how does it communicate? Uh it communicates well, so the first one communicated via Bluetooth, so you had to have your phone nearby and had to have the Bluetooth connection. Okay. Um, the second, yeah, and in fact, yeah, the, the both communicated Bluetooth. The second one had a built-in GPS, so it could keep track of where it was without using the the phone's GPS. Right. But, uh, but yes, so it it communicated via Bluetooth. It would be interesting if, and I know this would never happen because companies don't usually do this, but if they're going to be shutting down, the devices are still going to be working. Why can't they just open up the API and you can develop an open source app for it? Literally, yeah, it. something I was I was just going to mention, which is, and we've seen that with other things, but yeah, you know, Thomas, that's that's actually kind of related to the point I was going to bounce off of what you said too, which is, you know, technology. It's not just that technology is is, is advancing fast; it's the way that technology works now. Is you know, in the past, if I had a fridge and the company that made the fridge went out of business, my fridge would keep working because it right. stands there. But now, so much of our technology depends on 
the cloud depends on a server mm -hmm. somewhere else that if that server stops this perfectly useful device that's still sitting here in front of me and still has a long potential life is no longer any it's a it's a hunk of junk because right. i can't i can't run that because as jack mentioned that the apis are private and and they have not released the, the the code so we can't open source it right well and i and i think too you know like with the fridge example uh somebody can figure out how to fix the fridge you know you, right. you can have you can call a maintenance tech in and and most fridges work the same way whereas with all this this kind of stuff it doesn't necessarily work in any sensical way that can be just simply figured out by somebody who wants to pick up and there might be a company that says oh that that sounds like a great product i'd love to work on that product but they there's no way for them to functionally do that right. and and there's no incentive for serious X, uh, uh, fm to 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 work with any company to do that if they really want to uh you know just kind of let this thing go and die and right you know they got their bankroll out of it and they're moving on <laughs> and and right. and there's no incentive to you know give away the technology because that's uh, something they could someone could potentially pay for someday that right. patent or license or whatever you also run into an issue of the thing that John Deere has done. Do you guys know about that? Uh, remind me. Where basically what they've done is they've designed their newer tractors to be, you cannot work on them yourself. Everything has to be fixed by a technician and they will right. sue you if you try to fix it yourself. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Like they yep. basically made a license agreement for your tractor. And, you know, farmers are very much DIY kind of people. So there's been a lot of yeah. uh, talk of those uh, like right to repair laws. And that's where a lot of that's come from. Well, and this came up recently. In fact, I was saving this for a future episode, but since we're talking about it now, I want to uh, mention it now. Uh, there's been some complaints that uh, the new Apple MacBook and MacBook Pro, the, the very latest versions they just came out with this week, in fact, have a new T2 security chip. So they have this security chip, which encrypts everything, encrypts the motherboard, basically. And if you're not, if you're not an authorized Apple repair center or Apple itself, you can't you can't do anything with these uh, these laptops. You cannot wipe the drive unless you've logged in with the uh, user you know user ID and password. And so they're bricked. But Apple's point is okay. But we're protecting all that data. If this laptop gets stolen, you know, then anyone can just get in. You know, this was the way things have been for twenty years. Now we've come up with a way to prevent you from. Have you know, loot, you know, some somebody stealing your laptop and being able to wipe it, it, it lowers its its potential value as a stolen good and it protects your data. And it's like, oh, well, that's true. So, you know, <laughs> it's not the same thing as the John Deere thing. That just is is, is a uh, that's a money grab by the company, frankly. Right. But but uh, but what I mean, I suppose their excuse is, well, we only want authorized John Deere uh, technicians because these are such complex devices. Uh, we'd be very dangerous for non, you know, et cetera, et cetera, to, to repair them yourself. But at a certain point, it's like you don't own the things you're paying for anymore. Yes. You're just right. leasing them. Right. That's the concern. Uh, like, I, I like the idea of, a T, of the T2 security chip and encryption at the motherboard level. But... That sort of depends on Apple not being evil about it. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I don't feel terrible about these fly-by-night, you know, repair stores who haven't bothered to get certification as authorized repair. I know that could be more expensive and, you know, that, you know, the making them jump through hoops for this certification and, and, and that sort of thing. On the other hand, I don't know. I just... I think that I think the pros outweigh the cons on that. Um, but you're right. The bigger point is, is we're now we don't own the things we own. We we rent them from companies who mm -hmm. could make them useless at the drop of a hat. And, th and that's not not a good place to be. Right. All right. Uh, I think on that happy note, <laughs> <laughs> this is why I always end with picks of the week, because picks of the week are fun. And good. Yes. So uh, <laughs> yes. let's let's move on to our picks of the week. Jack, uh, save us with your pick of the week. All right. My pick of the week is nice and fun. It's not depressing at all. It is this really cool app that I found. It is called Art Museum, and that's spelled bracket A-R bracket T. So it's augmented reality. And it's this really cool thing where basically what you do is you can put it up on your phone. They only have it for iPhone and iOS right now, so you can use it for your iPad or whatever. 
But what you can do is you basically can build a virtual museum in your house. And it's really cool because it puts the um, pictures on your wall and then using your iPad or your phone, you can walk up to them and see them in really, really high resolution. And it's got a voiceovers for the different paintings. So it gives you a description of them and it has them talking about it. And it has this cool thing where you can do a virtual uh, museum tour where it takes you through all these different paintings. That's Dom and I are both cool. like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Yes. <laughs> my kids are going to love this. <laughs> I mean, we're, right. We're stuck in home right now. It's not like we can go to a real right. museum. So turn your house into one. It's cool. I, I'm looking at the, the app store and the, there's a Monet there that is actually uh, a Monet from the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, which is, you know, uh, my kids, that's their favorite gallery. They love the, the Impressionists. Uh, and so... Um, if there's if they have our local museum stuff in there, that would be really great. That would be cool because, like you said, we can't go to them. So this is one right, way yeah. to get there. Awesome. I mean, and it's free. It's it's free. It'd be good for kids or just yeah, you know, it's a lot of fun. I am totally going to download that. Uh, that's a good one. <laughs> All right, uh, Thomas, what what have you got for us? All right. So in the interest of uh, keeping everybody up to date on some stuff that's going on in the 3D world, Thingiverse is kind of out right now. Most people are really upset with the way the, mm. the uh, website's been handled. So if you're looking for 3D models, I've got two recommendations for you. Um, My Mini Factory is a great one. Uh, there's a good mixture of free and paid uh, models on there. So you can go through and find it's very clear which ones are free and which ones are paid. They even kind of highlight them uh, with a different color border uh, so that you see that it's a, a paid uh, model instead of just a free one. Okay. Uh, so it's really not there's no like deceptive anything going on. Uh, they have an app which is very slick, very functional, uh, works really well. So if you're looking for 3D models, myminifactory.com. Uh, and then the more Wild West version of that is a website called Cults 3D. Um, it's a mixture of paid and free uh, models, but it's a little more uh, modeler friendly where they can put up models without quite as much vetting as uh, my mini factory seems to go through. Mm. Uh, so you'll find a little bit more of uh, all sorts of wild, crazy stuff on there that maybe doesn't necessarily work on your printer. So be careful with, uh, you know, who you pick from and make sure that you kind of check their uh they're, that they have a picture of an actual print instead of just the picture of the model, like the 3D render of the model. Uh, uh, but those two are really great, uh, really great websites to use. Um, if you if you have a 3D printer right now and you would like to contribute to any of the things that are happening on the medical field, there are lots of great uh, 3D prints because everything has to be thrown away uh, when it encounters the coronavirus. They need 3D printed mask holders. They need 3D printed um, clips to hold the uh, the mouth, uh, the, the mouth covers out of the way because the, it hurts your ears. I don't know if, if anybody's yeah. tried wearing those elastics. It hurts your ears after a while of wearing them. So uh, there are some 3D clips that you can print that you can wear behind your head and clip the uh, the mask to instead of having it clipped to your ear. Um, all sorts of little stuff like that. Uh, as testing becomes more prominent, there are some areas where 3D printers might be able to help alleviate some of the um, material costs as well. Uh, just being able to print them on your home bed and then uh, share them with the, the medical field. Cool. Very cool. I saw a great video from Smarter Every Day, the YouTube channel, mm -hmm. where he talked about organizing in your local community for the that sort of thing to pr produce stuff for your local um, first responders and frontline workers. Awesome. Definitely. Cool. Uh, so my pick is this new app that's out for Mac OS. It's on the Mac App Store called Service Station. Now, this is a bit of a, a power user uh, gadget, so just bear with me here. Uh, it, it famously, people think, "Oh, the Apple, the Macs don't have right clicks because they they only have a one button mouse." Well, not exactly. Uh, you can get it. You can get a mouse with multi buttons, or you can also, if you hold down the control key on your keyboard while clicking with your mouse or trackpad, it works the same way. It, it pops up a contextual menu if you if you click on an. Uh, um, a file or something like that, and you right-click on it, we call it, or control-click on it, it will pop up a contextual menu. And this app, Service Menu, or I'm sorry, Service Station, it allows you to customize that menu. So one of the things you can do is you can say, uh, here, these are the these are the two or three uh, apps I use for interacting with movie files. Like, I have a dozen different apps on my thing, and I don't want it have to page through all of those when I when I right click on this uh, movie file 
uh, I always want to open up QuickTime Player. So make QuickTime Player right there, right under where I click. Uh, so that's good. The other thing you can do is you can put uh, scripts, automated scripts, Apple scripts, other sorts of scripts like that in the uh, the dropdown too. So for me, every here's a little behind the scenes. With uh, when I do podcasts, I have to produce uh, the episode art in various sizes and resolutions, and I've got a series of scripts that I run to produce them. And it used to be like, all right, right click, go down to this me- the quick actions menu, page over. Oh, the I paged over to the the sub menu and it went away again. I have to go back and you know that sort of thing. This way now I I right click on the file and the scripts are right there, right under my thing. So it it's a it's a simple <laughs> thing, but it's powerful when you kind of dig into it. And it's a nice little app, um, and it's a paid app. It's uh. It's a little pricey for what it does. It's fifteen bucks. I mean, I, I'm I'm all for uh, programmers getting paid what they're worth and paid so that the thing can stay in operation. Uh, you know that they can, they can support the app. So uh, it was worth it enough for me to get it. So you could check it out. You can download it. It's a free trial. See if it's something you might use if if you ever find yourself wanting to do this sort of thing. This is a, a nice power user app for you. Service Station. All right. I think that'll do it for us today. I think that uh, about does it. So uh, as usual, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Kyle M., the Whiskeyman family, Jim B., Jacob P., and Simon R. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology in all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. If you'd like to submit a question to us or contribute to the discussion, you can comment on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page, facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or send an email to technology at sqpn.com, and we'll put links to all the articles we discussed in the Picks of the Week on our show notes at sqpn.com. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or on YouTube, the SQPN YouTube channel, where you should hit the bell to get notifications. Until next time, Jack Barazzini, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Thanks, Tom. Thomas Sinerho, thank you as well. It's been a pleasure. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. <laughs>